When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Counselor Toolbox, bringing you practical tools for recovery from mental health and addiction issues. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. CEUs are available on demand for this presentation through our sponsor, All CEUs. Go to allceus.com slash counselor toolbox to register. This Halloween, one thing you don't have to be afraid of is leaving a flame unattended. Instead of putting a candle into your jack-o'-lantern, you can build a safe circuit to replicate the effect with candle flicker LEDs. And the best part is, this project will automatically turn on when it gets dark out and turn off again when the sun rises. Welcome back to Co-Occurring Disorders and Their Impact on Treatment, Part 2. So in the last section, we were talking about how um, co-occurring disorders means physical mental health, or addictive disorders, and how they interact with one another. We also talked about the fact that addictive disorders are a person's last-ditch effort to survive pain. Then we moved on to looking at some of the symptoms of addiction and how they can actually contribute or worsen disorders that are mental health disorders or physical disorders. Then we moved on to talking about some mental health disorders and how they can make addictions worse they can also contribute to the development of physical problems. So we see how all of this is kind of folding in on one another, and we cannot just separate one from the other. In this section, we're going to move on. We're going to continue to talk about mental health disorders and how they may impact addiction and addictive behaviors as well as physical health. But we're also going to look at um, things like personality disorders and autistic disorders. So personality disorders, distorted thinking patterns, and problematic emotional responses are two of your key features of all of the personality disorders. In many of the personality disorders, you have people that have a preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success or power. Basically, they can't like themselves for who they are. They feel like they need to be something more, so they create this grandiose concept of themselves, which is easily shattered, very, very easily shattered, which can cause them to act out behaviorally in addiction or become very depressed. These distorted thinking patterns can also cause people to quickly shift from over-idealizing to devaluing others and themselves. So let's talk about others first. Certain personality disorders, whether we're talking about dependent personality disorder, borderline, narcissistic, they may see people and think this person is the greatest person in the world. Now, sometimes, as in with the person with narcissistic personality disorder, 
they may over-idealize someone who is dependent on them. They are going to think very, very highly of someone who thinks equally as highly of them as they think of themselves. So over-idealizing is creating this all or nothing sort of situation. This person is just the greatest thing in the whole wide world or they're the scum of the earth. Now, how do we switch? Well, in a lot of the personality disorders, it comes when there's a threat to the person's ego. Whether with the case of narcissistic personality disorder, if they feel like someone is criticizing or judging them, all of a sudden that person may be persona non grata. Uh, Likewise, with borderline personality disorder, if the person feels like someone is getting ready to abandon them or is judging them, they may also just switch to looking at all the faults and trying to focus on all the reasons this person is just the worst person in the whole world. Unfortunately, this behavior also applies to themselves. So they may think that they are all that in a bag of chips and some more on some days, but as soon as they do one thing wrong or they're confronted with the fact that they are not all powerful and all wonderful, they may crash and see themselves as complete failures or completely worthless and unlovable. Think about how much energy that takes to go every day either just completely idolizing somebody or thinking they're the scum of the earth. That means you're probably not going to have stable social supports. It's exhausting to have to be on guard and be that attentive to whether somebody is looking at your cross-eyed. And it's also exhausting and frustrating for people to go from thinking that they're all that to thinking they're the scum of the earth and they're worthless and useless and, you know, not good people. So you can see where we're starting to develop a mood disorder on top of the personality disorder. Remember in the last section we talked about all behaviors have a survival mechanism. So we need to ask ourselves in what way is this behavior protecting this person from destruction? either emotional destruction or physical destruction. And we know with personality disorders, a lot of the trauma or problems can be traced back to early childhood, which is why they start relatively early in young adulthood. You know, we're not going to diagnose a personality disorder before the age of 18, but we can start seeing some symptoms early on. Most people with personality disorders have a very troubled past. In what way... Are these current behaviors or did these behaviors in the past protect them? Now, a lot of times, if you look at it in terms of how did it protect a five or a six-year-old, it makes perfect sense. But then when you say, well, this person is 25, it doesn't make sense. But it does because that person is still stuck back being that five-year-old. They haven't developed further coping skills. From the time that they were their coping skills were overwhelmed, they were traumatized for whatever reason, their development got kind of stuck or derailed. The good news is you don't have to take 20 years to get somebody caught up. Once the 25-year-old adult sees you don't need to behave this way anymore, you don't need to protect yourself anymore, you can make other choices, it is possible to start to arrest some of those personality disordered behaviors. Now, there's a lot of controversy about whether you can, quote, recover from a personality disorder. There's also a lot of controversy about whether you can, quote, recover from an addiction because both addictions and personality disorders are characterized by behaviors that are pervasive throughout multiple areas of a person's life. But 
in my opinion, behaviors characteristic of personality disorders and behaviors characteristic of addiction serve a survival mechanism. And if you can help people understand the function and find a different way to meet that need, you can help them change their behavior. Now, whether you want to qualify that as recovery or not is something else. But um, I'll leave that for you to chew on for a moment. Problematic emotional responses. Affective instability due to marked reactivity of mood. Translated. It's really easy for this person to get upset. It doesn't take a whole lot to set them off. Which means they're happy one moment. They're angry the next. They're depressed the next moment. It's exhausting to even think about. Imagine living it. Imagine if every stimuli or lots of stimuli in the environment were setting you off. Every time you turned around, you were feeling a different emotion. It would be exhausting. Inappropriate intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. When we talked about anxiety and generalized anxiety and feeling keyed up and on edge, we talked about irritability. Well, effective instability, reactivity of mood, not being able to feel like you can depend on other people and going back and forth trying to decide whether you are the greatest thing in the world or worthless. It's exhausting, which can lead to difficulty concentrating and just irritability. And this irritability can grow and explode into inappropriate, intense anger. It's just like, screw it. I can't take it anymore. Yeah, you see where we're going. The other characteristic with personality disorders, not all, but some, is they don't experience genuine remorse for the harm that they cause others. A lot of times it turns into a look what you made me do. Not, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. It's, you made me do this to you. If you would have then I wouldn't have had to. So there's no remorse. There's a lot of blaming, a lot of externalizing, um, a lot of manipulation in order to try to make people fall in line and in order to try to control their very tenuous environment. Over or under-regulated impulse control. Now, this can be having to have everything just so and having to have routines and not being able to divert from those routines Or it can be somebody who's just totally impulsive all of the time. And either way, that can cause problems in relationships, that can cause problems at work, that can cause extra stress, and can put you in some pretty risky situations. And finally, interpersonal difficulties. People with personality disorders have a hard time forming relationships because they go from idealization to devaluation they are irritable they may be impulsive or they may be rigid so they have frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment they're difficult to be around so guess what a lot of people don't want to be around them which makes them even more stressed and even more desperate to hold on to people they have unstable and intense interpersonal relationships if you're afraid you're going to be abandoned all the time and If you need someone or someone's in your life to tell you that you are all that in a bag of chips and constantly build up your ego, then if you find someone like that, you're going to hold on to them really, really tight, which leads to these intense interpersonal relationships. These people tend to fall in love really quickly and really intensely. And then again, just like everything else, as soon as something starts to go sideways, it turns to hate. There's, there's no middle ground. There's no compromise. There's no work it out. It's intense and it's my way or the highway. Some need to be taken care of by others. They're influenced by other people's suggestions and opinions. Now, 
In some cases, that may mean they are chameleon-like. In other cases, it may mean anytime anyone has a dissenting opinion, they're going to be kicked to the curb because the person with the personality disorder generally has feelings of inadequacy and are hypersensitive to negative evaluation. Remember I said a few minutes ago, looking at your cross-eyed? They may take any look, any smirk, any, anything that they perceive as a slight and blow it way out of proportion and run with it. So it's always extremes. And most of the time, the negative extremes are a protective mechanism because they are afraid of being judged. Most people with personality disorders have a very unstable, if any at all, sense of self. So they rely on other people to tell them how wonderful they are or how good they are or how worthy they are. Um, and if other people aren't telling them that, they may try to do that for themselves. They may build themselves up. But that's a very, very fragile facade. And as soon as it starts to crumble, they go into protective mechanism. They go into the scared pit viper sort of position. Another issue that people face is autistic disorders. Now, I initially started to do this just with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders because we have a lot of people with addictions who were born into families where there were addictions and the mother drank when she was pregnant. This is a huge, huge issue over in Britain right now. Not as much here. We have a little bit more education about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, but I tend to think there's a lot of FASD that goes unreported here. So, you know, I'm not sure whether we're comparing apples to apples. Anyhow, children with autistic disorders in general, and remember in the DSM-5, we went to autism spectrum disorders, have poor sleep-wake cycles. Now, thinking back to um, when we were talking about depression and anxiety, sleep disturbances, this is common in mood disorders. People with autistic disorders, even if they have, even if they're older, may still have poor sleep-wake cycles. So we don't want to just say children. We want to say anyone with an autistic disorder. May have attentional deficits, which makes it harder to focus and concentrate, which may make it harder at work. It may make it harder to integrate into social relationships. It may make a lot of things more challenging. Add to that some impulsivity. You know, difficulty waiting, difficulty waiting your turn to talk, difficulty um, taking turns when playing games, difficulty in delaying gratification, which, you know, when we're talking about addictions, somebody needs to make the pain stop and they want to make it stop yesterday. Um, they don't want to wait for coping skills, which take a while. They want it to stop now. Difficulty adapting to change, insistence on sameness, and an inflexible adherence to routines or rituals. People with autism may need that structure in order to feel safe, in order to be able to feel like they've got some control over their environment. Um, this can make it, again, very difficult to deal with life on life's terms because life is not same. It is very flexible and can be exhausting to the person with autism. Learning difficulties and inability to appreciate cause and effect. And here I'm going to go off on a little FASD uh, side road for a second. Um, learning difficulties, you know, we got that. Inability to appreciate cause and effect. When I work with people that are in the criminal justice system and I see somebody who has had repeated offenses, they don't ever escalate. It's always petty theft, petty theft, petty theft, petty theft. And I think, you know, why is this person continually getting caught for petty theft? 
people with FASD can't forecast the consequences of their actions. They can't learn from consequences and go, oh, if I do this, I'm probably going to get arrested. Likewise, they tend to um, follow a lot more. They tend to be much more um, suggestive. So if you have some that are suggestible. So people with FASD tend to make poor choices if they fall into the wrong crowd because they're just, they're trying to fit in. And since they can't see the consequences of their actions, if you tell them to go jump off a bridge, they just might do it. We need to be aware of this because it's even more important in the recovery process when we're working with someone with autistic disorders, working with someone who can't anticipate cause and effect to make sure that they're in a safe, sober environment um, where they're not going to get taken advantage of. People with autistic disorders may have poor understanding of social expectations. They may have difficulty reading nonverbal behaviors, so they may not be able to understand, are you happy, are you sad, are you, you know, what is it that you're trying to communicate with your behaviors, which leads to deficits in nonverbal communication behaviors. They can't interpret other people's nonverbal communication. They may not have their own because we mirror our nonverbal behaviors. We've learned that as we've grown up. You know, what does a happy face look like? What does a sad face look like? Um, and if we can't, the person who can't interpret those signals is going to have a hard time creating those signals in a way that's meaningful. And hyper or hypo reactivity to sensory input. Let's start with hyper reactivity. Remember, we talked about hypervigilance with PTSD. It can be exhausting when everything around you just seems 10 times louder, brighter, stronger than everything else. Um, when I was pregnant, and a lot of people have this situation when they're, when they're pregnant, my sense of smell was bionic, I swear. I could walk into a room and the slightest offensive odor would turn my stomach. Um, Think about living like that constantly, where it's not just smells, it's sights, it's sounds that are constantly bombarding and you can't necessarily filter them out and they seem way more intense. Everything is more intense. On the other side, there's hyporeactivity to sensory input. And these are the people where it doesn't seem like anything phases them. Loud noises don't seem to bother them. Bright lights, dark, it just, it doesn't phase them. In any event, I want you to put yourself in the position of someone who has some or all of these symptoms, difficulty adapting to change, inability to appreciate cause and effect, you keep making the same mistakes over and over again and you don't understand why, poor understanding of social expectations, difficulty communicating with other people, and either hypo or hyperreactivity to sensory input. It can be very difficult to deal with life on life's terms if that's what your life is like. Now, is it impossible? No. You know, I know a lot of people that have some level of autism that function quite well, but they do have to be more careful um, and cognizant of taking care of themselves and what situations they put themselves in. So autistic disorders can lead to problems with independent living, making decisions, following through, keeping on a schedule, employment, and social integration. And we talked about all those on the last slide, so I'm not going to belabor them. Concurrent secondary disabilities, depression, anxiety, and addictive disorders, frustration at feeling hopeless and helpless. People with autism, it's not that they don't realize what's going on around them. Many people with autism are actually very perceptive 
And it's frustrating to them that they can't integrate socially or they have difficulty with employment because they have hopes, aspirations, dreams, those sorts of things as well. So depression and anxiety can be high. And addictive disorders, obviously, as a way to escape from the depression, the anxiety, the excessive sensory input, those things that would be frustrating, depressing, exhausting, anxiety-provoking. Okay, is that all the mental health disorders? No, not by a long shot. But we hit the highlights. ADD, ADHD would be another one that you would want to consider. Um... And giftedness may be another one you want to consider because people who are gifted often see the world differently than other people. But there are a lot of gifted people who integrate quite well. So those I didn't hit on in this particular uh, presentation. But do be aware that any difference, mental health difference that people experience may make it more difficult to integrate socially, to develop fulfilling relationships, and may make life seem a little bit more overwhelming. So let's move to physical health disorders. We're going to talk about some basic issues. There are obviously, we have medication side effects and a whole host of other disorders, conditions, and issues that we're not even going to talk about today. But we're going to hit the highlights. Chronic pain. This is a big one. When you're in chronic pain, it makes everything seem a lot harder some days. Hormone imbalances, and this can be anything from testosterone and estrogen to thyroid hormones. Malnutrition, sleep deprivation, and just frequent illness. If you're somebody who gets sick a lot, or maybe someone who has something like hepatitis, it may make it more difficult some days than others because you don't feel well. Where does chronic pain come from? Nah, who knows. Injury, it can be an injury you got yesterday. Or it can be an injury you got when you were playing football in high school. But if it causes you pain most days, then it can be considered chronic pain. Now, are we talking a level of pain that's like, you know, negligible, barely noticeable, to excruciating? That's something very, very different. Um, Fibromyalgia. Now, this can be excruciating pain in multiple areas of the body and most days. So people with fibromyalgia, obviously... Um, may find it more difficult to do things on a daily basis. Um, Fibromyalgia is also worsened by stress. So if someone is under a lot of stress or anxiety, they may hurt more. So if you're under a lot of stress and anxiety and you hurt more, it may get pretty depressing because you may feel like you're never going to be able to be pain-free and happy. People who have migraines, chronic migraines can be... Uh, very debilitating. They can negatively impact relationships, your ability to function, take your kids to soccer. The light sensitivity can be completely debilitating sometimes. Um, And just the level of pain makes it impossible to concentrate. And even something like scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine, can cause back pain, which can be worsened by stress um, or just aging and other things, and can cause a significant amount of pain in the neck back and uh, shoulder region. Other physical disorders, and I know pregnancy is not a disorder, but (laughs) when you're pregnant, some people, not everybody, um, you know, I was very lucky with my pregnancies. I've loved being pregnant. Uh, I didn't experience back pain. I didn't experience difficulty sleeping. I didn't experience the nausea and the vomiting that a lot of people do. But if you experience those things, 
It's also going to make it harder to sleep. So you're going to get exhausted and you see where we're going. You get run down. You start feeling depressed, yada, yada, yada. Um, vitamin D deficiency or seasonal, defect, ah, seasonal affective disorder. They are not one and the same. But when people start to experience a vitamin D deficiency because they're not exposed to enough sunlight um, or they're not getting enough vitamin D in their diet, most of it we get from sunlight, they may start to feel depressed. So this is a really, really easy fix, people. Um, if you have a patient who is feeling depressed, make sure they get a physical. Some of these things can be ruled out or very easily treated. Seasonal affective disorder is also partially the result of the vitamin D deficiency, but also partially the result of circadian rhythms getting kind of messed up. Because if there's not a lot of sunlight or if the days are really short, you wake up and you go to work, it's dark. If you're in an office that doesn't have windows, you may um, work all day and leave and it's dark. Your body doesn't know when it's supposed to be awake, when it's supposed to sleep, when it's supposed to eat, which can lead to feelings of depression. It can negatively impact sleep patterns, etc. Seasonal affective disorder, again, there are some pretty easy um, interventions for it that are natural. Number one, making sure that you get up and have a routine so your body knows when it's supposed to be awake. Number two, taking advantage of any sun sunlight that may be there. Number three, talking to your doctor and making sure that your vitamin D levels are adequate. And number four, making sure that you have exposure to between 14 and 16 hours of a day of daylight bulbs. And these are pretty bright, harsh bulbs. I'll, I'll tell you, I've got them in my living room. But they do make a significant difference, especially on those days where it's just gray. Um, it may be gray for days or weeks on end sometimes. Um, those are some pretty easy interventions to put in there. Is it going to do everything? No. Is it going to help? Probably so. But it's important for people to recognize what's causing it and understand the importance of maintaining proper circadian rhythms. Then we move to thyroid or hormone imbalances. Hypothyroid will lead to de symptoms of depression. Depression and hypothyroid are very difficult to differentiate unless you have a blood test. Again, go to the doctor, get a panel done, make sure that everything, your vitamin D levels, your thyroid and your hormones are where they're supposed to be. Hormone imbalances. We've all heard about um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Well... What is that? That's when the hormones change and it negatively affects mood. Can you fix this? Not necessarily, but the doctor can work with you on ways to um, moderate the impact of hormone changes and uh, ways to maybe deal with some of the anxiety and depression that goes along with it. Sleep deprivation and insomnia. Now, whether it's because you've got a new baby in the house, because you've got chronic pain, because you're sick, because you're stressed... Or maybe you're just traveling a lot or working a lot. If you're not getting enough sleep, your body can't rest, repair, and recover. Therefore, some of those neurochemicals that are required for feeling happy and energetic and dealing with stress, they're not going to be able to be built. They're not going to be able to replenish. So we need to give ourselves downtime. Now, some people say, well, you don't need that much sleep. How much sleep you need is kind of up to you, but we all do need rest and recharge time, time where we're doing enjoyable things and we're not taxing one or more systems of our body.